2: Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200k for 1/8 ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's PACASO.com.
0: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places.
2: Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, may you stay forever young. I'm Joe McCormick.
1: And I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. Our other co-host, Jonathan Strickland, is out on vacation this week. So Joe and I are, are forging bravely ahead by ourselves.
2: Into the future.
1: Into the future.
2: Where we will all be immortal.
1: Uh, w- wait, wait, wait. Immortal? I mean, really? Come on,
2: we've talked about this. The future. Everybody knows that in the future, everybody's going to live forever.
1: Oh, forever sounds like a really long time and also like we might have to be vampires and I'm not entirely sure that I'm into that. But but there are some some researchers who are planning some slightly more concrete ways of creating greater longevity in the human population.
2: Yeah, I'm skeptical about the living forever, but I'm, I'm into the living longer. That seems kind of doable.
1: Uh, longer and also healthier.
2: Right. That's a big one.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's a specific group of researchers who have started up a company called Human Longevity, Inc., um, that, that has has a whole plan for this.
2: Right. Uh, they have just announced launch about a month ago, and that's what we wanted to talk about today, was Human Longevity, Inc., their sort of plan for the future and what it means for longevity, Uh And the idea of staying healthy, not just living longer, but but preventing the diseases of aging.
1: Uh, Right. Their specific plan is to create a business that can sequence as many as a 100,000 people's genomes, microbiomes and like bloodstream biochemicals. Every year, um, all of this in order to create a for profit database for research, thus help- helping people live longer and healthier and making some money while they're at it.
2: OK, yeah. So we wanted to talk about their plan. But before we get to their plan, I think we should talk about some of the the big wigs behind uh, this launch.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because the, the founders, although you may not have heard their names, you've definitely heard about some of their projects. So who are we dealing with here? Uh,
2: well, the big one, the main founder is J. Craig Venter. Uh, known to some as Darth Venter. Some of his, his less adoring contemporaries would probably refer to him that way on the Internet. Uh, but he's a he's a big influencer.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's been working in this for a few decades now. He was the leader of the um, private sector venture to sequence the human genome uh, back in the, I, I guess it started maybe like late 80s, early 90s, but,
2: but uh, well, range,
1: ranging through the, the early aughts.
2: While the Human Genome Project was heading forward to map the human genome with public funding, uh, Venter was coming in on the side saying, let's race them to the finish line, basically, from the private sector side.
1: Uh, Right. He was doing this through a company called Celera, um, which, as much as we want it to be, is not the Celery Mafia.
2: Right. Whenever I hear that, I think it's some big agribusiness thing where they, you know, all the celery in the world comes through us. We're the (laughs) only game in town for celery. But... No, they were for genetics and genomics.
1: Yes. Um, and and this entire race caused a lot of controversy in the genetics community because they, they started out holding their data for, for profit instead of sharing it publicly, all the while using public data from the Human Genome Project in order to complete this work. Um, so, so they... They experienced a lot of kind of nasty pressure from other genetics and funding companies and eventually released their findings, albeit with a download per time period maximum, to the public for use. Uh, But, you know... Whatever, whatever your opinion about Celera's motivations and policies, they did pioneer an approach to sequencing that the Human Genome Project wound up using um, because of its, its terrific speed and accuracy. So, so that's awesome.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Venter himself has a whole lot of critics you'll find on the Internet, as we mentioned with his uh, other cute little moniker earlier. But he, he's somebody who you kind of can't ignore. Like, uh, w- whatever criticisms you might have of him, some people think he's an egomaniac, some people, you know, th- there are all kinds of things people say. He's definitely done some really important pioneering work. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so after that, we have, uh, Peter Diamandis. He is somebody who you may have heard about from us with reference to space tourism.
1: Uh, right, yeah, we did that, uh, that whole series of space Tourism, space travel episodes in January of 2014, and that is because he founded Space Adventures, which is one of those space tourism companies. He's also the chairman and CEO of the X Prize, um, which is that that thing that awards funds to ventures and awesome stuff like a like private space flight and 100 mile per gallon equivalent cars. Um, he's also a co-founder and chairman of Singularity University, along with no less than Ray Kurzweil. Um, <laughs> of, of course, Singularity University being an uncredited extra weird stuff Silicon Valley educational institution uh, so who is our third co-founder here
2: it is Robert Hariri
1: that's right he's the founder of um, Anthrogenesis which is a gene therapy company that was purchased by Cellgene. also not about celery in no
2: it is they study the genetics of celery
1: I, I cannot tell if you're messing with me right now no I'm
2: totally kidding. excellent <laughs>
1: It was purchased by Celgene in 2003, and uh, and they they focus on stem cell research and specifically placental stem cell research for for treatment of debilitating diseases and also like organ and tissue degeneration. So so all of these have very practical applications in the study of, of aging and longevity.
2: Okay, so we got our big wigs together. And what do they do? Let's tell the story of the launch of Human Longevity, Inc.
1: Okay. In early March of 2014, Human Longevity Inc. announced um, that they existed, a, um, <laughs> and 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 b, that they had uh, uh, generated 70 million dollars in startup funds, and furthermore that they are working in partnership with uh, s- several organizations right now, mainly um, University of California, San Diego's Moores Cancer Center. They are planning on starting with a relatively conservative 40,000 genome sequences per year, which is what the Two Illumina HiSeq X10 machines that they bought can handle. I have no idea if, if that string of words that I just said is how you actually pronounce that machine's name. Apparently, they are really fancy schmancy genetics machines. I, I don't. I haven't used one personally.
2: Yeah. Uh, apparently, they cost about ten million dollars a piece, but they can reduce the cost of sequencing a person's genome to this is predicted now about a thousand bucks. Now. Let's compare that to how much it has cost in the past. Um, the Human Genome Project, I, I believe, was un- just under three billion dollars. It was like two point seven billion dollars,
1: mm-hmm, which was was under budget. So that's yeah. impressive. Um, I mean, it was it was like point three billion dollars under budget, which is terrific. But still, ish. Uh,
2: yeah, Venter cites his first sequence cost at around a hundred million. We, he he brings that number up. Uh, so it's definitely come down over time. Oh, huge
1: improvement. And and that $1,000 mark, uh, uh, Joe, you pointed out, was was actually a kind of uh, unofficial goal for the genetics community for a long time, right?
2: Yeah, people have been talking about this for years since I I think just after 2000, uh, people started talking about the $1,000 genome. Because this is a problem, like we know that we can learn a lot from the data provided in our genes, but if it costs so much money to sequence a genome, It's a lot of trouble getting there. Yeah, yeah. If it's
1: billions of dollars every time, that's a difficult thing to fund, certainly.
2: Right. So essentially, just putting together a whole lot of money and reducing the cost of sequencing a genome can take us a long way in terms of learning more about the relationship between our genome and the ways we age and the diseases we get.
1: The disease that the company is going to be focusing on first is is cancer, um, and that's why they're working with UC San Diego's Moores Cancer Center. Um, they're planning on sequencing the genomes of cancer patients, both their healthy cells and also tumor cells, in, in an attempt to better understand these patients and the course of their disease. They're um, they're starting out offering the sequencing free of charge to to the patients, although. The company has stated that, that they're planning or kind of hoping to be able to charge for the service later on down the line.
2: Yeah, we don't know when that'll happen, but that that's, I think, the eventual goal. Yes. Uh, so what does this mean? Why does it help a cancer patient or anybody at all, really, to get their genome sequenced? Well, so we'll start with the broad view. The broad view is that genome sequencing data can be gathered in conjunction with massive amounts of other general data about health uh, and the health of the sequencing subjects. So hopefully by combining and cross-referencing these data points, we can learn a lot more about how to treat diseases, especially age-correlated diseases, and eventually more about aging uh, itself. And Vendor said he wants to put together basically a, a new age of a quantitative approach to health, connecting all the pieces of data that people have been collecting separately for all these years. So we can sequence a genome and we can collect data about you every time you go to the doctor – he wants to put this info together in a massive way and look for correlations.
1: Uh right, and we've talked a little bit, or uh, I mean a lot actually about about the genome and um the microbiome before on this show. Uh, if you want a really full treatment on genes, you can check out our podcast episode Genes 101 which published back on August 21st, 2013. Um but, but basically every time we've we've said on this podcast that humans are really complicated biomachines and that we're really gonna need more research if we're ever going to understand why our, our bodies work the way that they do, we were talking about these three broad categories of, of genes and microbiome and blood chemicals. You know, the, the genome is kind of like a like our code. The microbiome is like a Kind of like a network of other users that are in the system, <laughs> and and the blood content um, is is data that that we, being the sort of system administrator, and along with the other users, put into the system. The system being our body. Um. So so if we can control all of these elements, then we'll be able to live longer and healthier. Yeah. Hypothetically,
2: and not just control them, but understand the relationship between them. Yes, definitely. Um. Yeah. Okay. So th- that's sort of the the broad view, but to sort of zero in on what this means for the individual patient, I, I think we should talk about a few ways that getting your genome sequenced with this technology that they have can make a big difference in your own health profile.
1: Mm-hmm. And these are practical applications that are going on now. This isn't, this oh, isn't yeah. in the future. This is, right. we, we are living the incredible future.
2: Right. This is already for real and learning more about uh, different correlations between elements of the genome and diseases that we experience will take us even farther. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the first thing I wanted to talk about was preventative medicine. Mm -hmm. So having your whole genome sequence can help you know what diseases you have a predisposition for. So if you know what diseases you are at the highest risk for, you can take preventative measures towards specifically those diseases preventing them before you get them rather than treating them once the symptoms appear. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and the the founders of this company have talked about this, that we have kind of a a reactive approach to health right now. You wait to get sick. And
1: and then then you you treat the sickness. You try to
2: do something about it. Mm -hmm. Well, what's obviously much better than that is knowing how you are most likely to get sick based on who you are, based on your genes, and then taking steps to stop that before it happens.
1: Or uh, to watch for early warning signs and catch them early enough to, to really do more good.
2: Right. That's certainly true, because in, with lots of diseases, the earlier you catch it, the much better progress the better outlook you have. you've got. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and one really interesting example of this comes from Venter himself. Uh, Venter actually had his own genome sequenced. And one of the things that he found out from doing that was that he had a particular gene variant. He had the APOE4 gene variant, which is one of the forms of the apolipoprotein E gene from chromosome 19. And that's a gene that creates a protein that affects cholesterol and fat in the bloodstream. Now, research had shown that people who have this E4 variant that Venter had are at a greater risk for developing Alzheimer's disease, uh, much greater than people who had other common variants like E2 or E3. And because this gene variant was associated with fat metabolism as well as Alzheimer's, Venter announced that he started taking preventative fat-lowering drugs after he found out he had this gene variant. Wow.
1: That's that's great.
2: Um, I don't know if the fat-lowering drugs he was taking had any effect on the uh, the Alzheimer's outlook or if that was just specifically for uh, fat content in the blood. But one thing that is true is that years later, he, he had his brain scanned basically to look for early signs of Alzheimer's. Uh, there, and
1: there's plaque, I think, that, that shows up right. in his brain scans. Yeah, the
2: amyloid plaques, mm-hmm. and he went in there looking for it because he knew he had this predisposition, and they saw nothing. Uh, And so another thing that that shows and that's important to point out is that there's not necessarily a one to one correlation between the disease you have a predisposition for and what you will definitely get. Like you having a predisposition just means you're more likely.
1: Uh, Right. And especially in the case of, of this gene variant, I think that the fact that he has it on. On one of his chromosomes means that he's got like a 30 percent chance of developing Alzheimer's. And he said himself, you know, you can't get 30 percent Alzheimer's. That's that's not how the disease works. Um, right. You but,
2: either you either have it or you don't.
1: Right. But but it's it, it's really cool to to know that you have this chance and be able to therefore get more testing done and, and figure out. Uh, whether there are more steps that you need to take. Um, and this isn't the only disease that they have found this kind of stuff out for. There's uh, breast cancer is a big one, right?
2: Right. There's the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes. And these are a big deal, especially in the news since an announcement by Angelina Jolie.
1: Uh, right. And uh, last year, in 2013, she announced that she would undergone a preventative double mastectomy to to avoid breast cancer because she had tested positive for one of these genes.
2: Well, for a for a bad mutation on one of these genes. And that was known in the scientific literature that, oh, OK, we've seen that this certain mutation in the BRCA genes makes you very uh, likely to get breast and or ovarian cancer. And so she took preventative steps and a lot of people were praising her basically for uh, for doing this and for announcing it publicly and yeah, I, sort of as a, a public health consciousness thing.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a drastic preventative measure. And it, and it's not the right one for, for every person. Julie is, is very fortunate to have the kind of funds to, um, to undergo that surgery privately and also have really excellent reconstructive surgery afterwards. Um, and not everyone has access to that kind of health care.
2: Well, even more than that, it was, would be the cost of the gene sequencing itself.
1: Oh, which, certainly, uh,
2: w- which used to be a lot more than it is now, and that's one of the big reasons that bringing bringing down the cost matters a lot. If it's so expensive, that means a lot of people won't have these kinds of options. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cheaper you can make it, the more widespread you can provide the service. Mm-hmm.
1: And and it's definitely really cool that we've got a, a sex symbol like Angelina Jolie talking. Uh, frankly, in public about this kind of issue.
2: Definitely. Okay, so there. So there's preventative medicine we just talked about. But let's say that you don't catch something before it happens. Let's say uh, you find out, oh, I already have cancer, or I already have some specific disease. Is there any way that having your genome sequenced can help you then? Well, actually, yes, it still can help you a lot. Uh, there's this idea of personalized medicine.
1: Uh, that's right, because right now treatments for diseases are, are based on a kind of imaginary average person. At any time that any kind of testing on on a drug or treatment is done, it's, it's with a relatively small population of people that may or may not represent what you are. And doctors are kind of guessing as to how your body is going to react to that treatment.
2: Right. Well, I mean, and even whatever kind of population it's targeted towards, there's no one single person. Yeah, it's this it's this average approach. Uh, wouldn't it be so much better if we could look at your genome and say, hey, you have these five specific genes that we know respond really well to this combination of treatments, as opposed to your next door neighbor who has variants of all those genes and would respond better to a different drug? Um, And so there are actually examples of this you can find today. There is the anti-cancer drug uh, crizotinib. So I know the name of that drug sounds weird, but if there's evidence that you get a really good response rate for a certain type of gene variant, it makes a big difference to know whether or not you've got that gene variant that responds well.
1: Yeah, there's also a gene that predicts um, breast cancer patients' response to a specific drug called Herceptin. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's having having this kind of information beforehand can save a lot of time and money. Um, But
2: not just time and money, but your life like (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if I guess that's
1: important too.
2: uh, if you say you have a cancer outlook Mm -hmm. and you're being um, you're talking with your doctor about here, you know, three different treatment paths we could try. It certainly will save you time and money not to try one that's not going to work on you. But it will also possibly save your life, because if you you spend time going down one road right? Um, while you have cancer progressing, and it turns out actually based on your genes, it would have been better to go down a different road.
1: Yeah, that's time that, that you might a, not have. Right, it can make a
2: big difference in whether or not you survive or how long. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, cancer has really been the most successful um, disease group for this kind of uh, personalized medicine as of yet. Um, there's, there's also been some, some other research in, in other fields, like there was an association of certain differences in a group of genes called CYP450 with patients' reactions to SSRIs. Those are uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are a type of antidepressants. Right. But the association hasn't been corroborated in clinical studies yet, and this particular example is sometimes cited as exemplifying the current problems with personalized genetic medicine. Um, You know, the the association was announced by one group of researchers. Some doctors and genetic testing companies started using it in their practice, but further clinical trials haven't proven the association yet, and there's worry that we're wasting patients' money and, and time, albeit... Slightly less serious time than with something like cancer while we're getting all of this sussed out.
2: Yeah, which is exactly the reason it's good to have a whole lot more data like they're talking about here to just just harvest it, bring it in, have tons to work with. Um, It's a big problem when you you have just enough data, you know, to suggest a correlation, but you don't have enough to feel that you have a very strong uh, model. Right. Okay, and so after these, uh, the next thing, sort of the long term goal that they've talked about less specifically and more generally is aging itself. So as Venter points out, aging is basically the number one risk factor for like most diseases,
1: basically everything.
2: Uh, Yeah, tons of stuff. And right now, aging is considered inevitable. It's just part of life. But the question is, could genetic research like this genome sequencing bring about anti-aging techniques? And so long term, the company says its goal is to defeat diseases of aging and perhaps even aging itself with a combination of this genomics research and also with stem cell therapy, which is not to be overlooked. And that's something we've talked about in other podcasts before. So obviously this matters uh, on a person-to-person basis. I mean, most people would like to live longer and to be uh, in better shape and healthier for more of their lives. So that that's sort of a no-brainer. Yes, that's a thing we want. It could make a big difference for society as a whole, for example, uh, because if you are having a harder time getting around and doing all the things you want to do as you get older because of this thing we call aging – it makes it harder for you to say continue to work.
1: Oh, sure! You can be more productive. Uh, you can you can have all of that great. Quality time with with working that we all look forward to <laughs> in our old age.
2: I mean, well, I mean, the personal benefit, some people probably enjoy their work. But beyond working, there, there's also just having the quality of life that you want the, the the ability to go out and do the things you want to do. Of
1: course. And, and also freeing up a lot of um, um, talent and minds and time from the kind of end of life care that that we provide pretty long term yeah. in some cases these days.
2: Right. So it's not just about living longer, but it's about uh, being able to do more in the years that you do live.
1: And it's pretty cool that all of this is coinciding with um, with big data technologies and, and analysis techniques. Yeah, uh, because it, it's you know, we are already pouring a lot of um, processing power and thought into how to sift through this amount of information. So so I think that that is um very fortunate and or uh, logical that it's happening <laughs> at the same time. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure it's not a coincidence that, that we are gaining uh, and not entirely a coincidence that that we're that we're gaining all of these powers at the same time.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it totally makes sense. that This kind of thing is becoming enabled in the Internet age. So I'm sure it what we what the way we're advancing is not just in terms of our ability to say take some dna substance and and analyze it chemically to see what all's there but also in our analytics capabilities oh, right so the having
1: kind of, the processing power to to do just that to handle that kind of computation right.
2: to store all this information to to automatically cross reference it in a meaningful way uh, that that makes a huge difference i think but at the same time, I would say that while this is a, a big boon for human life in a lot of ways, it's also something that I think we should be cautious about. The era of big data and genome sequencing certainly doesn't come without its uh, worries.
1: Uh, certainly there there are some privacy worries. Venter himself kind of brushes those off Um that that first genome that his private company sequenced sequenced was partially his and it, it, there there was a little bit it was a composite just the way the, the same way that the human genome project's first genome was was a composite right. but at any rate um he hasn't withheld any of its contents from the public um I'd like to note, however, that as an eccentric millionaire, he has a little bit less to lose than many average humans might by making their genes open source, uh, even with anti-discrimination acts in place.
2: Right. And I think it's important to have all of that kind of legislation in place that says, uh, okay, if your genome is becoming something that is accessible to the public, even if we find out something about the contents of your genome that's not something we can use against you to say, like, not hire you or something like that.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely worried about things like, like insurance and employability um, as it relates to my full genetic code being on file with uh, with a big research database that anyone that wants can have access to. Uh,
2: yeah, I think that's definitely something that is worth being cautious about and something that is Very important to remind our legislators about as this becomes more common.
1: Sure. There's also the fact, like we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Venter's previous genetics project met with a bunch of controversy because it was for profit. And so we have to ask the question, is it ethical to do medical research with this potential scope and hold it for profit?
2: I feel like I don't know enough about genetics and genomics and how this business works to really ethically make a pronouncement on that issue. My feeling is that I, I want all health things to be free wherever possible. But then right. again, can can they actually happen that way? Or do you need to have some kind of investment incentive to make this work?
1: Yeah. The flip side of the question is really, is it ethical to deny medical researchers the same um, the same? Opportunities, monetary opportunities that we afford most other people, um, and is it ethical to use taxpayer dollars for this research when um, more companies and bigger companies might be willing to provide funding if there's a potential dollar profit in it? Um, and and you know, like like note that this project has a really expensive buy-in. You know, genomes are huge, and the variants that lead to particular diseases can be very very small and very rare. So lots of sequences might be necessary to create any kind of useful findings for any given field.
2: I'd agree. <laughs> um, yeah. So w- what's the bottom line? What's the outlook for this?
1: Well, these are these are really big and really valid concerns and questions. And I'm not just saying that because I wrote them down. Um, I, 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 I do think that, that it's something really important for, for humanity as a whole to, to be thinking about. Um, but, you know, the reason that they're so big and and so valid is that it, the whole field is so wide open and Wild West-ish right now. Um, you know, we're only a little bit more than a decade out of having a single full human genome sequenced or a composite of a single full human genome sequenced. And Venter himself has said that the genome race was the, the race to the starting line. Um, we're, we're all running around with this huge wealth of untapped data inside of us, and, and harnessing that could could let us be better people but like you were just saying we we also need industry ethics and laws to to catch up to what technology is making possible right now uh so i don't know you know i I really hope that human longevity inc succeeds at the at the very least in driving genetics forward and and forcing people to ask themselves these questions uh you know potentially especially lawmakers and other people in the genetics community
2: no doubt Okay. Well, I guess that about wraps it up for Human Longevity Inc., doesn't it?
1: Yeah. That is about all that we have to say about it. If you guys have anything to say, then you should get in touch with us. You can, um, you can go to fwthinking.com. That's kind of our home base and includes many ways to get in touch with us. Also, all of our videos, other podcast episodes and some really terrific blog posts that we spend way too much time on. Um, you can also find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. Our handle at all of those places is FW Thinking, And uh, we hope to hear from you guys real soon. Either way, we hope that you will tune in again to us. So, thanks. For more on this topic and the
0: future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com.
2: Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places.
0: Ah,
2: ski slopes. Let's
0: do it. Um, tenor girl goes shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait,
2: did we just invent California?
0: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at
2: visitcalifornia.com.
1: Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So, if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's
2: why it's got to be a CFP.